Hey everybody, it is Friday, February 15th, 2019, and you are listening to the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Eisleck, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. This week, guys, it has been somewhat of a slow news week, but we've got a couple of things we can talk about, some interesting things that are going on. Uh, in the new segment, talk a bit about Rivian, the electric car company. Uh, they just got a huge uh, influx of cash from Amazon, uh, and a few other car companies are already talking about investing in them as well. What does that mean for electric vehicles here in the U.S. Uh, in the next couple of years? In the car culture section, I wanted to talk a little bit about reinventing car culture um, and what some car companies are doing to kind of step outside of that, uh, stay within it, and companies that are entering the car market, how they're approaching the way things are, are how they think things are going to be handled is maybe a better way to say it. And, you know, kind of consider what are the better options going forward. And then last up, a car that's on my mind, something that just kind of crossed my threshold today for whatever reason. Uh, it's the current in air quotes, Generation Toyota Tundra. Uh, it's been around for quite a long time. Just some kind of general observations, reflections on the pickup truck uh, as we stand today. Uh, yeah, there's some things to kind of unpack with the Tundra overall that I think is uh, worth looking into. So uh, with all that in mind, guys, uh, we'll remind you here at the top of the show that uh, we make this available on a wide variety of podcasting platforms, including Apple, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and so much more. So if you're out there listening, uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming back every single week. If you are not subscribed, just smash that subscribe button. It only takes a second. Uh, we try to do these episodes twice a week. On, uh, usually Monday or Tuesday, we'll do an earlier Scrap Story episode, and then the main thing is normally here on Fridays. Uh, if there's anything else going on, sometimes we do the uh, Salvage Title Car Buyer's Guide, where we break down a segment of vehicles into the top three options. We had a fourth model for flavor. Uh, we just did an episode this past week uh, talking about mid-size like that low mid-size it's such a stupid way that we have crossover size segments broken up right now uh but the mid-size two-row crossover segment uh so if you're interested in looking at some of those larger crossovers might be worth a listen to uh hear what i think might be a good option out there but anyway guys after the bump perhaps with an ad break uh we will talk about the rivian electric car company news So perhaps the biggest news this week is that Rivian, the electric vehicle company based here in Michigan, uh, they just received a $700 million investment uh, from Amazon, the ubiquitous e-shopping uh, company. Now, if you don't remember, Rivian announced back at, I believe it was the Los Angeles Auto Show at the end of 2018, uh, that they are working on a full-size pickup truck and a full-size SUV uh, to go on sale, hopefully, by the end of 2019 on into 2020, uh, that would have 400 miles of range and would be able to tow and haul at ratings similar to that of an F-150 or a Silverado. Now, Rivian kind of came out of nowhere. I don't think a lot of people were really paying attention to what they were doing. Uh, they have 
centers of uh, operation based in Michigan, Indiana, California, as well as over in Europe. I believe it's in the UK. Um, you know, they're, they're designing very cool vehicles, but there aren't a lot of practical bits of information coming out of them. We don't really know a lot about how these vehicles are going to be built, how they're going to be operated, what kind of designs the battery uses. Um, and I think that's kind of worrying, I guess, to a little extent, um, when you consider that they want to have these vehicles on sale in the very near future. Now, I think the big question, number one, I guess we'll focus a little bit more on that, is what these vehicles are. Um, them being a full-size pickup truck and a full-size SUV, um, Rivian is looking to jump into the marketplace in a very different way than how, uh, you know, Tesla has done it, how Faraday Future had planned to do it, how Lucid Motors is looking to get into the system, uh, and really kind of flies in the face of where every major auto manufacturer is looking to jump in. And going for the big pickup truck, going for the big SUV, uh, they're really looking to grab a part of the market, especially here in the United States and Canada, uh, that focuses in on those vehicles as their day-to-day -day, uh, mode of transportation. Uh, with 400 miles of range, you know, it's a little bit shorter than what a big pickup truck can do, especially with the more fuel-efficient V6 options. Um, with similar towing and hauling capabilities, you know, you're not really losing out too much there. Um, I think the big question right now on that kind of technology is, how well it does in high or low temperature situations and how well that battery can hold up uh, in terms of like high use cases. So, you know, if you're towing a large amount of weight behind your vehicle, it's a hot summer day, you're going up a steep grade. How is your performance going to be affected in that situation? Uh, just the same if it's very cold, how much range are you going to lose? Or, you know, let's say it is an optimal temperature kind of afternoon. You're out in the mud, you're off-roading, you're on a work site with this pickup truck. Uh, what kind of danger do you face if there's any kind of knock against the floor where that battery would presumably be stored? Um, you know, you don't want to have a fire danger or an electrocution danger uh, when you're out there actually using your truck the way it was designed, presumably, to be used. Now, moving aside from that, uh, knowing that Rivian, hopefully, presumably, with this kind of investment, has their stuff together, what does Amazon want to get out of this project? Uh, Amazon, of course, is the largest company in the United States. I believe they have one of the highest stock traded values right now. Uh, its CEO, Jeff Bezos, is the richest man in America. Uh, they've got money to burn. Uh, they've got uh, time to invest in other companies beyond their own e-commerce platform. And, you know, that is evident, of course, in Amazon expanding to physical bookstores, of all things, uh, creating their own grocery store chain, uh, which they plan to expand outside of Whole Foods uh, here in the very near future. Uh, Amazon has ways in which to make some money, even though they lose lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of money with Amazon Prime every single year. Uh, it's all about, you know, gathering data. It's about seeing what you want to buy and catering your options that are presented to you on their platform uh, to make more money of out of you as a consumer. Um, as much as I don't really feel like the Amazon Go shopping stores are that big of a deal, they are a very novel and very interesting concept. Uh, 
having their own car company is something completely different that we have not seen here in the United States really ever. Um, if you were to turn your camera of focus for the moment to South Korea and think of companies like Samsung, where Samsung doesn't just make cell phones and smartwatches, they also build apartment complexes, uh, hospitals, uh, grocery stores, many other things. Samsung is literally a part of your everyday life, whether you want it to be or not. And I think to some extent, Amazon might be kind trying to make the same kind of play by purchasing an electric car company. Uh, Amazon has in the past had partnerships with other car companies where they've sold some of their vehicles online or at least given you a more direct way to engage with some of these car companies to purchase a car online. And I guess the question in my brain goes, uh, if they are acquiring such a large part of Rivian, what is the likelihood that they are going to use their platform to, one, promote and sell their own electric vehicle products, but two, or three, or four, or however many on down the line you want to go with this, uh, that they're looking to start their own dealership network, and Amazon will start selling cars directly by themselves across the country through their own website, um, that, I think, is a very interesting prospect, uh, not unlike what CarMax does, um, but I think we're jumping quite a few spaces ahead here. I think the other big interesting thing about this story is, of course, that General Motors had announced interest in buying a portion of Rivian just before the news had broken that Amazon had purchased so much. Uh, General Motors, of course, is designing an electric pickup truck under the GMC brand uh, that was announced just not that long ago. Uh, Ford has also announced an EV version of the F-150, of the next-gen F-150, of which uh, prototypes have already been seen here in Michigan um, operating uh, on a prototype basis. What would GM have gained from purchasing any portion of Rivian, and will they end up making that purchase uh, in the not-too-distant future? Uh, that, I think, is a really interesting thing where, you know, again, we don't really know a whole lot about what kind of technology Rivian would be bringing to the table for General Motors. Um, you know, is it is it motors? Is it the batteries themselves? Is it the platform? Uh, is GM just looking to clear up space in the market for themselves uh, with their electric Sierra? I think that I might pose a more interesting question to me. Uh, General Motors is, of course, I think it's still the largest car company here in the United States. Um, so I don't think they want to take uh, a new threat in the pickup truck segment light, or lightly, especially with the weakness that the Silverado and Sierra have already faced uh, going on right now. That's a whole big other mess. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's really curious to me how this has worked out. I think this is a situation that poses a lot more questions than answers. I mean, straight ahead, you know, Rivian is getting this cash, cash infusion to help them, you know, continue R&D, to continue testing, to continue more R&D, which also leads to more testing, maybe a little more R&D, maybe some crash testing, also some more R&D, a little more testing, and then maybe potentially sales to the public. Um, you know, I really hope that this helps them really ramp up and make some really interesting products that are truly competitive with other pickup trucks that are on sale here in the U.S., but it is anyone's guess where things go. 
Uh, it's kind of somewhat my opinion that Amazon doesn't exactly have the greatest track record when it comes to producing their own equipment, uh, putting their name on nice physical forms of, I don't, I, I'm going to, for lack of a better term, junk for you to buy. And I, that does kind of worry me to some extent that they are buying an electric car company. How much are they going to encourage Rivian to cut some corners on some things in pursuit of others? And, you know, are they going to set themselves up for a model like what Amazon has where their margins are razor thin? Um, you know, how long can they operate as a company? And what does that mean eventually if Amazon has to completely buy them out to continue operation? I don't know. Extrapolating a bit here. But, you know, are you interested at all in buying a full-size electric pickup truck or SUV? Um, you know, leave me a comment here on uh, anchor at anchor.fm slash YSSMAN or uh, tell me on Twitter at YSSMAN. I'd be really curious to hear from you uh, about how you feel about this deal going down. So up at the top of the show, uh, I mentioned in the car culture segment, we kind of wanted to discuss where things go next for car companies where where are those revenue streams where where is the innovation for car companies uh that need to cater to young people going into the future now this kind of flies in the face of a couple of stories that have come out in the past couple of days as well as something i talked about earlier this week uh with the sono motors scion uh gm uh ford Many other companies are looking at what is the next thing, like what is the post-transportation solution for them as car companies to continue to have some kind of revenue stream uh, as money continues to stay very tight for millennials, will likely be even tighter for Gen Z kids. Um, what what are they going to do to cater to people who are increasingly moving to cities have less and less space to park vehicles, to charge vehicles, uh, to maintain vehicles. There's not a lot of solutions for the wide array of problems that are out there today. So focusing in, at least if you didn't listen to the Sono Motors thing, uh, we'll talk about that for a quick second. Uh, Sono Motors and their Sono Motors Scion. Uh, it's a startup electric car company, I believe, based in Germany. Uh, they want to sell a $16,000 electric vehicle with built-in solar panels on the hood, roof, doors, and rear tailgate uh, that will power your car with the sun to give you about 18 miles of range per day, uh, just sitting in the sun, not plugged in, not anything. And then they say that you will be able to power, uh, you know, electronic gadgets or plug it back into your home to help power your home uh, in emergencies, uh, all sitting out there in the sunlight. Now, you can also charge it off the grid and everything else, uh, but they want to make a extremely affordable, simple EV solution for young people in cities and all over Europe with this new car. And it's a very novel uh, approach to the post-car world, um, but it's still a car, and whether or not that works for everyone I think is kind of up for debate. Um, but they say that they want to get into the car-sharing game 
where some kind of app platform that they're developing for this uh, will allow users to share their vehicle with other people. Um, you would get some kind of credit back for their usage uh, of your car. Uh, how exactly that works is somewhat confusing. Um, Volvo has done a very similar thing with their, uh, what do they call it, the Volvo Care Plus subscription. Um, this is a thing that I think has come up quite a bit recently uh, as a solution for car ownership in many parts of the country, uh, is a subscription service for a vehicle where you pay We'll just throw a number out here, $400 a month. You get a pretty decently equipped mainline vehicle that also includes maintenance, uh, all maintenance, as well as car insurance uh, for your car. And you would be able to share that car with other people uh, through an app if you choose to do so. And if something were to happen to your vehicle, you'd be able to take it back to the dealer and swap it out within a year for another thing, perhaps with a slight upcharge for your month-to-month -month rate. Uh, is that a solution for most young people? I would argue no, but it is a compelling solution for a lot of people because just like a cell phone, there's not a lot that's lost in translation with what's going on. You know what to expect. You, it gives you a lot of peace of mind that you don't have to take care of your vehicle uh, in the way that buying a used car would likely cause you to have to do. Now, another solution a lot of places are coming up with kind of again on that same car sharing platform is that you buy a subscription to drive any kind of car uh, that's available to you out on the street, something like Zipcar or uh, Maven or uh, this new platform that PSA, Peugeot Citroen, are looking to introduce here in the United States where uh, you would have a pool of vehicles that you would be able to have access to uh, really at any time as long as the car isn't being used by somebody else. Uh, so basically, you on your app, you would log in, you would walk up to this car, hold maybe your phone up to the door, it would unlock the car, and you'd have it for a set amount of time, and then you just have to return it, or excuse me, return it to a designated area um, once you're done with it, you know. Uh, that seems like, a, again, a compelling thing for a lot of people, especially as a lot of young people don't have uh, access to parking, they don't have access to uh, insurance, because insurance is often included with a lot of these things. Really, all you need is a driver's license, and you're good to go. That's kind of cool. Whether or not that works for everybody in every situation, again, depends because these subscription services are often very expensive for the amount of time that you would need one of these vehicles. Now, a new thing that we've been seeing altogether and has been kind of interesting to me is the post-post-post-car ownership situation. Um, and we'll just talk about one here. Uh, GM uh, unveiled their Arrive, A-R-I-V, uh, bike platform in Europe earlier this week. Uh, basically, this is an electric pedal bike that you would spend somewhere between three to four thousand dollars on uh, that can go for about 40 miles of range at up to 15 and a half miles an hour. Um, it's a collapsible bike, um, so you could very easily store it in a small apartment or take it into your office. Um, but they're hoping that this is the transport alternative to cars for many people, uh, especially in larger cities in Europe. Uh, they're really expecting a great amount of success uh, in Germany and the Netherlands and in Belgium where they're testing this out right now. Whether or not that's actually something that a lot of people are going to be willing to spend their money on, I think kind of depends. Um, 
As somebody who used to race bicycles, uh, I can tell you right now that 15 and a half miles an hour is not very quick uh, on a bike. Uh, even with a relatively low amount of effort on the right kind of bicycle, you can easily do five to six miles an hour over that without sweating the small stuff in most situations. Um, you know, whether or not you're getting your money's worth at the low end with the $3,000 on this bike, uh, I really think is going to depend case by case uh, in this circumstance. And I'm assuming to some extent that the EU might be uh, compensating some of these purchases with some kind of tax incentives because it is an electric vehicle of sorts. Um, but even at, you know, $1,500, I go, you could get to a lot more places a lot more easily with a regular, you know, lightweight aluminum or carbon fiber frame bike uh, that just makes more sense. Really, just as the more I think about it, you can buy a $350 or $400 brand new Trek bike that you could, again, probably get to more places more quickly on than this electric thing. I don't know. It's really weird. I, I like the fact that GM is thinking outside the box with this particular project, but whether or not young people are going to buy into it that's where I think I get a little backed up, a little confused. I don't know. It, it, there, there are a multitude of problems and not a lot of solutions for young people. I think, you know, really we have to face down the fact that young people want to live in smaller communities. And by smaller communities, I mean more tightly built communities. Young people want to live in cities and more strictly urban areas. Uh, young people care a lot about the environment. They don't want to be adding more carbon to the atmosphere if they don't have to be. Uh, a lot of young people don't want to have a commitment to a vehicle that they want to work on and make sure that they are changing out the wiper blades and knowing that the tires are okay. And, you know, part of that, I think, comes from, you know, cell phones, I think, are a major reason why people's expectations have changed. They want to just work. And that isn't always the case with a lot of cars these days. Um, and I think a lot of people, you know, have become impatient with the idea of having an automobile. You know, our, my dad used to be out in the garage every weekend making sure his Caprice was running up to top spec. You know, I'm not opposed to being out there with my car you know, every couple of weeks checking on things, doing stuff like that. But, you know, for people like my significant other, she wouldn't be caught dead, dead outside making sure that things are okay on her car. She just wants to get in, turn the key and go, do what she has to do and come home. And I, I think that's really the big difference with people who are into cars versus everybody else that cars need to be sold to. And it's getting harder and harder and harder for those companies to stay on target with that. And it's been really interesting to see, you know, a brand like Scion, like Toyota's Scion, completely fall apart in the face of changes to young people's perspectives on buying cars. Uh, they weren't able to flex with where things were going, and they were never able to capture that market share that they wanted with young people uh, because Toyota wouldn't let them. And it's it's a big mess, you know, and if I was a, a big company, you know, and I hate to say this, like Amazon, who, you know, maybe could potentially help solve this problem a little more efficiently, 
you know, you would have to start looking into the idea of selling these cheap electric vehicles like what are coming out in China right now, especially as Chinese car companies want to come to the United States. Could you imagine, you know, uh, Amazon partnering with maybe GAC to sell their small electric sedan here exclusively through Amazon car dealerships? Amazon opens up these charging network stations across the country. Um, they have these charging uh, stations available in major cities across the United States uh, where you pay a flat fee Think of it like an Amazon Prime membership uh, to, you know, maybe you do have to buy the car, but you have everything else provided to you as long as you take it to an Amazon charger or you take it to an Amazon uh, dealer to get service done or you take it to an Amazon whatever. You know, maybe that's that's the future. And that's kind of scary to think about, too, because that leaves you that many fewer options uh, in the marketplace, and it really pushes a lot of competition out, and it, I don't know, it, it's a big mess, it's a scary mess, and these are questions that are going to need to be asked, and asked, and I think this kind of comes to a point I feel like I made in a previous episode, uh, that we need more young leadership in these car companies, and there just really isn't a lot of it. Everybody who's running these car companies are in their 50s and 60s, you know, they're primarily white, they're primarily men, um, and whether or not they have the vision to get past where we are today, uh, I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. And, you know, as much as Tesla is pushing ahead in a very futuristic way, you know, they're, they're not, they're not making things that young people are able to afford, uh, you know, and, and as much as, you know, Kia and Hyundai, I think are getting a lot of things right, uh, they still haven't captured the truly youthful end of the segment uh, when it comes to super clean, super cheap cars. They're getting there, but they're not quite there yet. So I don't know. The future's crazy right now. That's to be for sure. Um, I'm, again, like the Rivian thing, I'm really curious to see where things go in the next couple of years. Um, I'm really excited to see what comes out of the European car show circuit this year. I think a lot of European car companies are seeing the writing on the wall for where young people are at in terms of buying a new vehicle. Um, so what we see come out of Volkswagen, I think in Geneva, uh, perhaps at the Paris Auto Show later this year, um, I think that'll really give us a good indicator of where the post-car market will likely be going. So last up, a car that's on my mind, and it's actually a pickup truck. Uh, it's the second generation Toyota Tundra. Uh, I see these pretty often, and actually uh, my boss had one uh, for quite some time that I kind of got me a little more curious in the model uh, once again. Uh, I remember back in, I think it was either early... I think it was early 2007, right as the truck was about to come out. Uh, they pulled the wraps off it at the Chicago Auto Show. We were there uh, that first weekend of the show uh, to take a look at it. And my dad and I really came away impressed with the overall execution of the truck, but we couldn't get past the brand loyalty uh, with General Motors, let alone knowing that Ford and Ram made arguably better trucks than the Tundra. Um, that it, it just seemed like a weird effort from Toyota to have transformed their really well-designed mid-size, upper mid-size truck into this full-size pickup truck competitor. Now, 12 years later, how wrong we would be 
that the tundra really is considered to be a threat to some extent uh, from the or to the performance and sales of the F-150, of the Silverado, of the Ram 1500, uh, that Toyota really continues to push the market forward, even if the Tundra, despite them saying that they are now in a third generation, in air quotes, uh, shares almost all of its bones with the original 2007 model. Um, Toyota just pulled the wraps off another uh, variation of the pickup truck. I think it was, was it last year or this year. They have another TRD model that got shown off again. It's crazy to me that this truck hasn't been refreshed in any, any significant way uh, in years and years and years. I think, I think six years ago was the current uh, redesign that uh, was offered. But where I really wanted to focus in on was those original uh, Tundras from 2007 to 2012 um wow weird I, I i it's hard to kind of put into words how i feel about this truck um the tundra you know style wise i didn't really care for it at the time but going into today and i and i mean friday february 15th 2019 i really feel like those original tundras have held up exceptionally well when it comes to exterior styling uh, in a way that I didn't really expect at the time, uh, especially in darker colored paint. Uh, I think it, they really look good. Um, it, it's interesting how they stand out, I guess, especially compared to contemporary Silverados and F-150s that looked very cheap by comparison. Uh, what hasn't exactly held up well to some extent with the Tundra is the interior of the vehicle. Uh, Toyota really hasn't updated the interior much since 2007, and that's a major factor as to why I wouldn't recommend it as a new vehicle pur purchase in 2019. But as a used vehicle, it does make that interior much more attractive because it, again, hasn't changed a whole lot. So if something were to break or, you know, need replacement, you could very easily get access to those parts because Toyota has made so many of these Tundras for so long that have the same stuff that it really bodes well for being able to keep this truck running for a long time. Mechanically speaking, uh, we've seen versions of this Tundra go millions of miles uh, with most of the same parts underneath it uh, that it originally started with. Uh, th these Tundras have been remarkable uh, in their performance day-to-day -day, uh, when it comes to reliability, dependability, um, towing capacity, so much more. Um, Toyota has really done a bang-up job with designing this truck to last, and I think it is commendable uh, in every sense of the word that they've been able to do what they do, even if they don't have the same kind of sales figures as Ford and GM uh, with their full-size pickup trucks. Now, what is somewhat of a mystery to me, I don't really know enough about the smaller V8. I'd be really curious to know if people who have the smaller of the V8 options have more success with reliability and dependability than the larger V8 models. Now, both of those V8s were used in a large number of Toyota vehicles um, across multiple brands and things like that, so I, I can't imagine there are many problems with it, but I'd be really curious to know what, like, you know, a Tundra owner with like a 2008 like SR5 with like the 4.7 liter V8 kind of gets out of that day-to-day -day versus somebody with the big 5.7. Uh, you know, where that reliability, dependability, what kind of choke points there have been on overall performance and reliability. It's hard to say. I mean, it's going to be a toy. It's a toy that's going to be very good, but it's got me curious. And what really seems strange to me 
at least as I was looking, is how much resale values have held and held and held and held on these trucks uh, where we are today. Looking at early examples from 2007 and 2008, you're going to be finding it pretty hard to find one of those trucks uh, for sale for less than 10 grand. Go back to a similarly yeared F-150 or Silverado, you could probably pick up one with a similar amount of miles for a third of that price. Uh, it is crazy how well these Tundras have held up. Um, I think one that I found close by, relatively close by, had like 140,000 miles on it. Um, maybe been a little bit less than that with a 5.7 liter V8, pretty decent trim level. Uh, it was still like 13 grand. That's really expensive, uh, considering what it is. And, you know, I don't know. It's, it's weird. I, I mean, as I talk about replacing my car with a more capable work vehicle, the Tundra is definitely on the list. But if prices like that are what we're looking into at that point, ugh, that's a little crazy. So we'll see where things kind of get to as the weather warms up. We'll see where things get to if we get a new Tundra anytime soon. But uh, Toyota seems to be keen on soldiering on with this platform as long as they can to get as much money out of this project as possible. Uh, you know, again, kudos to them for making it as reliable and as dependable as what it is, but Whoo! It's really weird looking at used car prices on this thing. Give it a look in your market if you can. I would uh, be really curious to see how strong uh, sales-wise and how high those prices have stayed, especially out west and down south in areas that tend to be a little more import-friendly than here in the Midwest. Because um, if it's already that high here, I can only imagine how much higher it would be out there. All right, guys, that just about wraps up this episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Like, and you can follow me on Twitter at YSSMAN, and you can also follow along with episodes of this show at anchor.fm slash YSSMAN, or even better, just hit that subscribe button on Spotify, uh, Apple iTunes Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are served. Uh, we do this thing for free. Uh, usually we post a short episode on Tuesdays and then we do a longer one here on Fridays. So uh, really appreciate it uh, to uh, have that subscription from you. Um, other stuff that's going on, well, you know, we're kind of waiting for the Geneva Auto Show to pop up soon. Uh, the New York Auto Show is in the not-too-distant future. So Auto News is kind of going to be a uh, thing that kind of comes on a day-to-day -day basis. We'll see what happens in these next few weeks. But until then, guys, I hope you are having a safe, lovely, enjoyable week. I know the snow is back here in Michigan after it was gone for a few days. It is downright cold today. So stay warm. Enjoy the rest of your Friday. Have a great weekend. And we will see you again early next week on the Salvage Title Podcast. See you later.